Everybody, everybody happy? It's like 70 degrees this week. Yeah, so I'm so tired of winter. Anyway, uh, hey, we're really glad you're here. Hey, let me jump into this. And uh, I think I have a nosebleed. That is amazing. Anyway, uh, okay, catch your breath. Today, we're gonna start a new series, and I'm calling it Life Interrupted, which is gonna take us all the way up to Easter, which is just four weeks away, all right? And I'm really excited to kick it off today for a couple reasons. First, I know what God's been putting on my heart that I'm gonna share with you over the next month, all right? So that's the first reason. Uh, And the other one is I get to teach all four weeks leading up to Easter, and I'm very selfish, and I'm I'm gonna take all these myself, all right? The other part of the, uh, I'm excited about the series is, the day after Easter, Robin and I are gonna get on an airplane and we're gonna make our first visit. We're gonna to go to Rome and Greece and Italy or Israel and we're actually gonna be visiting some of the locations that I'm gonna be teaching you the stories from and I've never been there before, right? So, so that's exciting for a couple of reasons. One is I've never been to, to the Holy Land before. It's always been a dream. And the other thing is this, if it goes well, one of my dreams has always been to start leading groups of Flatirons people to go over and visit the place and experience a part of the world. So stay tuned for that. Do you wanna go? Let's go. All right, let's go. And because uh, COVID is over. All right, anyway, so I'll get emails about that, but I've gotten a lot of emails this week. <laughs> anyway, um, so every once in a while, somebody will ask me, I get asked this question, like, Jim, so how do you determine what you're going to teach on each week here at Flatirons? And honestly, well, I know some of us grew up in traditions where, like, every church in your you know, franchise, whatever you call it, you know, it teaches the same thing out of the same book all over the world. And so, but we don't do that here, all right? Uh, for me, I'm usually just kind of teaching you what God's been teaching me in my own walk with him, and I'm an outside processor, and this is therapy for me, basically. But sometimes, you know, I, I know what I'm gonna teach on way out in advance, like months out in advance, and at other times, God will hit me with something like unexpected, and I'll have to pivot and go, no, I need, I need to teach on this. And I'll give you an example of that, like this series that we're looking at for the next month here. A few weeks ago, I'm still out of breath. Um, If you would have asked me a few weeks ago, hey, what are you gonna be teaching on leading up to Easter? I I would have given you like some broad, like directional ideas. But then, and this is how God works, all right? A few weeks ago, I'm sitting at home and just full disclosure, I'm scrolling through Instagram reels because it's an addiction, all right? And, And honestly, I can't even tell you who or what the person was doing or promoting, but I, I saw this one reel and, it, and a phrase caught my eye and it simply said this, look at this, it says, one small truth can change your life forever. One small truth can change your life forever. And again, I don't know what the post is talking about. Uh, change your diet can change your life. Uh, uh, change your workout, change your, 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 your investment, whatever. Or how about this? The closer I get to 60, uh, I get a whole bunch of posts about low, low T and related issues. Anyway, but, um, uh, and I write irrelevant there. Anyway, but, anyway um, but that phrase, whatever they're talking about, stuck in my head. One small truth can change your life forever. And I start thinking about that's really, that is true. I mean, there are times in our lives where we look back and we go, you know, at one point my life was like this, I thought I was gonna do this, and then this happened, and it was different. And then, or that happened, or I discovered this new thing. It's like the countdown video, or like life interrupted. Like we can all remember like, hey, our life is going, and then 9-11 happened. We remember where we were, right? Like airports haven't always been like this, kids. I mean, it it, it happened, right? Um, Some of us remember where the Challenger was, or some of us remember where where that assassination or where that, you know, that nuclear thing went up. We we all remember that life was never the same. So all of us have moments in our life where I thought my life was like this, and then my life got interrupted, and it's not been the same, right? Everybody's got those, right? So I was thinking, like, when it comes to God, 
one, one truth changes your life forever. When it comes to God, one of the big, one of the big teachings, one of the big truths from Jesus uh, goes like this. One time he was asked this question by some of his students. They just looked at him, his disciples, and said, hey, Jesus, we don't know how to be with God. Like, how do you get to God? What's the way to get to God? Can you tell us that, Jesus? And look at this. Jesus answers, he says, well, I'm the way. I'm the way to God. I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And, and this is probably the most exclusive thing that came out of his mouth. No one comes to God the Father unless they come through me. So I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In another place, Jesus taught us this. He says the thief, and he's talking about Satan, comes only, and that's a big word there, right? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy your life, all right? Then he says about himself, I have come that they, and they would be us, I have come that you may have life and have it, how? Like to the full, like an abundant, overflowing life. So if you put those two statements together, we find that there are, there are two different ways to live your life. Around here we say there's two deals on the table, right? One that's not true and leads to you getting ripped off and, and killed and, and destroyed, you and everything attached to you, right? And there's another way that, that leads to a life that Jesus came to provide for you, which he describes as, I want you to experience a life that is full, abundant, a, a good life. And he also promised that if we will follow him, he's the only way to find that life. He's the only way to get to God. He's, he's the only truth. And if we will abide in his, what he says is true, and embrace and live out that truth, the result will be we'll experience that better life in this life and also on into eternity. He says, I'm on the way, the truth. And there's that word again, truth. As in Jesus says, this is true. Which brings me back to this, this, this phrase. One small truth can change your life forever. Now, now, if that's true, and Jesus claims to have the truth that can change your life forever for the good, the question is, if the truth that Jesus offers leads to a better life, then why aren't you experiencing one? Because a lot of us are sitting here going, That's, I, don't, I don't have one of those. If what Jesus says is true, then, then, then why aren't we experiencing a better life? And, and, I, and I thought about that, and I thought, well, there's, there's probably many, but two main answers that I can come up with about why we're not experiencing a, a, a life according to Jesus. The first one goes like this, because Jesus was wrong about his truth leading to a better life. He, he lied to us, so that's one possibility. Or, or how about this? Jesus was right about his truth leading to a better life. We just don't believe it's true, either for at all or for us. It might be true for other people, but I bet that truth won't work for me. So, so here's what I wanna look at this month. What would Jesus need to do for you to come to the point in your life where you say, I, I do, I trust what he says is true. I trust him. When he says, this is true, this is best, this leads to life. And so I'm thinking about that, and I went back to that original statement that I saw on Instagram, and I added a little bit to it, so it goes like this. One small truth can change your life forever, but the delivery method of that truth can be very different. One, one truth can change your life, but the way that God's gonna deliver that truth to each of us may be very, very different. And that's what I wanna look at for the next four weeks. How does God teach us that his truth really is true and is a better way and leads to a better life? Because the truth doesn't change. But because different one of us, different people, we learn in different ways. I mean, some of us are easy learners. We just get it. We're early adapters. And then some of us, we're just a little thick. We're like, we always have to learn, learn the hard way. I do anyway. But, but God's truth delivery method can be very, very different. So today I want to look at the first one. Let's look at one way God teaches us this is 
true. So we're going to look at a story in the, in the Bible, in the book of John, and at all of our campuses, because uh, we're all joined together, in all of our campuses in the back, there are free Bibles. Grab one on your way out. They're going to be here on the, on the screen. But the book of John was written by one of Jesus' best friends. His name was John. See, you already know the Bible. Look at you, all right? And it's a, it's a, it's a biography of Jesus, or it's the gospel. Uh, it's the good news of Jesus, all right? And it's written by John. And so John, John shows us this one like encounter that, that Jesus has that kind of explains, well, here's one way that God delivers truth. And I'll, and I'll explain it as we work our way through. We're in John chapter eight. We're gonna pick up right at the beginning of this, this chapter. It says this. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared in the temple court. So in, in the middle of Jerusalem, which is like the capital, there's this huge like religious temple. It's, it's enormous. And the whole city's kind of built around that. And Jesus goes there in the morning. In, at dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, I'll explain who they are in a minute, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now let's just take a time out here and let this, let this, this sink in, okay? Because I always like to go, like, what would, if you were in that crowd, like what would have been going on, all right? So Jesus is sitting in the temple, right? And so let's say it's a big room, whatever you're sitting in it right, right now, okay? And he's teaching like I'm teaching. He's teaching about this is who God is, and this is the kind of life that he wants to have with you and for you. It's an abundant life. And in the middle of his sermon, in the middle of his teaching, this group kind of you know, crashes in. Really, it's, it's more like a lynch mob, all right, of religious people. And, and they bring this woman that they had, and I quote, we caught her in the act of adultery. So just so we're clear here, and this is middle school and up is what this room's for, okay? Adultery, by definition, is one person having sex with somebody who's married to somebody else, okay? Meaning is that maybe both of you are married to somebody else, but you're not married to each other and you're having sex, okay? Now, that's adultery in, in the Bible. And it's a big deal. Like, it's one of the big ten, thou shalt not, all right? Uh, like, like, don't do this. It, it's, so, it's such a big deal that Jesus knows what adultery actually does to people. He even says this, well, it's not a, a, like a mandatory death sentence for a marriage. Even Jesus says a lot of people won't be able to get, get over it, won't be able to recover from it. And he doesn't throw stones at that at all, right? He says it's, it's a big deal. It's a big one. Cover to cover in the Bible. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't. Why? It'll ruin your life and it'll ruin the life of everybody connected to you. And a lot of us know that's true, right? And these men caught her doing that, all right? They didn't say, so we heard this rumor about this girl and that she committed, no, no, no. It didn't say she felt guilty and then you know, she confessed to us that she committed. No, we caught her, which in my mind, we knew who she was. We knew what she was doing because she does it all the time. We waited a little while and we kicked in the door of the hotel room. We drug her out of that bed and we hauled her to the temple and stood her before Jesus. And then they have this woman there, all right? We'll get to her in a minute. They start quoting Bible verses at Jesus which is not wise, because he wrote it, all right? So anyway, so anyway, so here's the, this, this mob and Jesus and, the, and this woman. So here, here they go. This is what they say. In the law, which is like the, the first five books of, of the Bible, okay? In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you say? Now, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So time out here. Two things, all right? First, when they quoted the law of Moses, like they were quoting the Ten Commandments as well as a whole bunch of verses out of the book of Leviticus, all right? When they said that the law of Moses commanded that people who committed adultery be stoned to death, all right? What they were saying 
was true. I've read the Bible. It's in there. Okay. What do you mean? It's a sin. It's a big one. And the wage of all sin, but this one's called out specifically in the Old Testament is if you, if somebody does this, take them outside the city and stone them to death. So they were, they were right. They were, they were telling the truth. The law actually said that both the man and the woman were supposed to be stoned to death. And the obvious question is, where's the dude from Motel 6? And the answer is not there. Conclusion, not fair. But the truth is, these men don't care about God's word. That's not what this is about. They don't care about her and her soul or him or whatever it is. They're just trying to trap Jesus, back him into a corner. And here's what I mean by this. If Jesus says, yeah, you're right, stone her to death, they'll look at Jesus and go, see, he's mean, he's not loving, he's cruel, he's just like everybody else, he's judgmental. But if he says, don't stone her to death, they'll go like, see, he doesn't care about God's word. He doesn't care about God's truth, we've got him. They think they have him trapped in a lose-lose situation. They think they can make Jesus choose between grace and truth, love and, and truth. But he's Jesus, and he's smarter than them. So, look at this, I love this. But Jesus bent down on, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they, they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, and some of you, you, you've heard this before, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Again, I don't wanna rush past this because we can get really familiar with this and we just kind of rush past it to the next thing. All right, see, Jesus knows what the law says. He knows the verse. He, oh, he knows all right. He knows that the sin. He knows what the sin of adultery does to people and does to family. Jesus hates adultery. He also knows that this woman standing here is guilty. She did it. Guilty as charged. So when they keep on questioning him, what he's saying to them is, "You're right." You got a Bible verse to back you up, all right? That is what the Bible says. That's what the law says. The law says that sinners deserve the wage of sin, which is death. So how about this, boys, all right? If, if, if anybody here has never sinned before and believes that they can sit in judgment over this woman because either you've never sinned, whatever, or you've never committed this particular sin, or how about this, you've never been caught committing this particular sin, all right, then you go first. You throw the first stone, and then everybody else, we can jump in, and we can give this woman what she deserves, all right? I'll blow a whistle, ready, go. Now, here's the, here's the irony of this whole thing. There was somebody in the crowd who was qualified to throw the first stone. Somebody who had never sinned before, and that would be Jesus, all right? He had every right, all right? I got Bible verses to back me up. He could look around going, I'll do it, bam. But while Jesus could have Biblically, legally, whatever, he could have delivered the wage of sin. He chose not to. Here's the other weird part of this story, which I've never heard a preacher actually explain well, right? <laughs> and I don't know if I'll be the first, right? Twice, it says that Jesus knelt down and wrote on the ground. And I assume he was writing in the dust, on, in the dirt, right, right? What do you think he wrote? Because nobody knows, right? So when nobody knows, I just make stuff up. <laughs> so this isn't in the Bible, but it should be. All right, um, here's what I think. I think as he's writing, I think he's writing guys' names. Like I think he goes, Frank, where were you Thursday night? And hey, Steve, spring break, Sea of Galilee, got a little nuts, right, right? I think, I, I, I think he just writes down dudes' names. They're in the crowd, all right? I, I think Jesus is saying, listen, I made that up. That's not in the Bible, right? 
I think Jesus is saying, hey, listen, guys, listen. If those are the rules you want to play by, fine. I'll go first. We'll give this woman what she deserves. And then let's don't stop there. Let's work our way through the crowd until everybody gets what they deserve. Is that what you want to do? Because if so, let's, let's, bar- let's party, all right? Let's, let's go. I'll go first, but I'm just telling you, it will not work out well for you if that's how you want to, if, if that's how you want to do this. So what do you want to do? And I, I love this next part. Just, at this, those who heard began to go away. <laughs> One at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I I love that. The older ones left first. Why do you think that is? Here's my opinion. And it's based on this. I'm almost 60. I've been a Christian since I was eight. So I'm old. All right. But here's in my experience. My experience is doesn't apply to you. I'm sure I'm not talking about you. In my experience, the most judgmental, self-righteous, finger-pointing people in the world are new Christians who are still on that emotional high. They bumped into Jesus, they got baptized, and they're riding high, and they think eternal life is all about Jesus' fairy dust and worship songs that give you goosebumps, and Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. And listen, if that's you, good for you. Really good for you. It's, it, it's just not always that easy. It's just not always that, that easy. So here's what I'm gonna caution, especially if you're new to the faith. Please be careful because life is gonna hit you. I don't wanna be a prophet here. I just, this is life, right? Life is gonna hit you really hard and your little cliche bumper sticker theology is gonna take a hit. We just did a whole series about that. Kind of lists like this. I, I, I will never read a book on marriage by somebody who's only been married about a year. So well, that hurts my feelings. I don't care, right? You know why? You know why I won't read your book? Because you don't know crap about marriage yet. You'll get there. You'll get there, right? And here's the parallel. The longer that I'm a Christian, the more I'm aware that I am totally 100% dependent upon grace to make it. I'm running after truth with everything I have, but to quote Dallas Willard, I'm burning grace like a 747 burning fuel on takeoff. I mean, this is the only way I'm saved, not because I have figured anything out and stopped doing something or started something doing, right? Anyway, so let's get back to the story. It's now just Jesus and this woman standing there. And in my mind, she's probably wrapped in that ho- ugly hotel bedspread. Uh, anyway, right? So, but like, like but time out again, right? If you're this woman, right, what are you thinking? What are you feeling in this moment? And I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I think she's sitting there going, or standing there going, this is the worst moment of my life. Like, like, please, hit me in the head with a rock and get this over with. I think she's standing there with shame and embarrassment and fear. How would you be feeling in that situation? How about this? How did she get here? How did her life end up here? Because I'm pretty sure that if you'd gone back to high school or what college or whatever, gone back a few years ago and asked her this question, hey, listen, do you think you will ever, she would have gone, no, wait, not me. I will never do that. I swear, I will never do that. Other people, my, my parents did that. My friend did that. This happened over here. This, I, I promise, I will never do something like that. Here she is. I wonder if she's just lonely. I've counseled a lot of couples in the last 40 years of doing ministry, and here's what I've, I've discovered. Adultery, when you have an affair, it's rarely about the sex. It's about being wanted, feeling important, feeling loved, even if you know it's not real and it can't last, but for a few hours, you can pretend. Oh, I, wonder, I wonder 
If she just got tired of her husband, he doesn't even see me anymore. It's, it's like we're just, I don't know, we've drifted apart. Or, or, or maybe he cheated on her and now it's only fair. I'll show him what it feels like. It's my turn, right? And then, and then after this, whatever happens here is over, what happens next in her life? And I'm guessing lose-lose. Either she's standing there going, either I'm gonna get hit in the head with a rock and be executed because I'm a sinner, or if they, if they let me go, what do I go back to? I can't go home, and I'm pretty sure the guy back at, at the hotel's gonna ghost me. I've, he's never gonna call again. So what's left for her? Right, so let's get back to the story. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, hey woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now most, again, time out, right? Here's where most of us stop. Go, that's a great story. We go with this, the story's application, all right? So we've all sinned, we've all screwed up, right? Nobody's better than anybody else, all right? And no one is qualified to throw stones at anybody else, which is true. And Jesus could condemn us, but he doesn't, so we should, shouldn't condemn one another, right? All that's true. But there's one more thing that Jesus has to say to this woman that we leave out a lot. Let's go back to it again. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared, comma. Go now and leave your life of sin. You, gotta, you, have, to, you have to let that sink in. He doesn't wink at her and go, wow, girl, that was a close one. <laughs> Good thing I was close by. Run on home now. No, he doesn't, he doesn't look at her and say, listen, I get it. I, do, I understand, you, you've had a rough life and, and your husband is a jerk and you've had a rough marriage and you actually deserve better than that. So I understand why you did that. It's not what he says to her. It all may have been true, but that's not what he says to her. He says, he says listen, I, I, I could condemn you. I'd rather give you grace and forgiveness than condemnation. But I am, de- I, I love this word, I'm declaring to you, I am commanding you, listen, girl, right? Like, Don't do this anymore. This has to stop. It's a sin and will always end in this. It will end in the same place. Death and condemnation and shame and guilt and destruction. So listen, leave this life that you've been living and and, and do what? And do do what? Now here's here's where, if if you have the Bible, it's divided into paragraphs and then there's a little thing, a little I don't know, somebody put it in there, and then they start like a new story, but it doesn't say it's a new story. It's the next verse, look at this, all right? So after he says, you gotta stop sinning. So when Jesus spoke again, so the next time he opens up his mouth, and I assume those people are still standing there watching all this happen, right? Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. So you put all that together, he looks at her and goes, leave your life of sin and follow me out of this darkness and into the light of life. And I promise you, with me, there will be light at the end of this tunnel. And all you can see is more tunnel right now. You don't have to see the light. You don't have to understand how I can get you through this tunnel. You just need to trust me and follow me out of this mess. Will you follow me? Because this has to stop. So let's go back to my statement earlier. One small truth can change your life forever, but God's delivery method is gonna be very different at different points in our life. And I thought I would start with the truth delivery system that we never wanna talk about on the front end, but it's all we see on the back end. 
And a lot of us have experienced it, and it goes like this. Sometimes the way that God delivers truth is that he allows or causes truth to kick the door in, and we get caught. It's the only way we'll listen. See, see, the, here's the truth, all right, right? I don't know what this woman's life was like, and I don't know what your life is like. You don't know what mine is like, but I'll bet that both she and you and I, we could come up with dozens of reasons why we had to do that, or it's understandable why we had to do this. We had to choose sin, but please hear this, all right? This is very, very important. Let it sink in when it comes to sin. Reasons are not excuses that make it okay. We all got reasons. I got good reasons for mine but they're not excuses. And if you wanna talk really truth, speaking from experience, be honest with yourself, God has been sending you truth message after truth message after truth message saying, this is not it. This is not the way. This is not the truth. This is not the life for you or your family. But like me, you pushed God aside and you said, I have to, I, I want to, I, I need to. And again, if we're gonna be really totally honest, I'll bet, this is gonna be really convicting. I don't even wanna say it out loud, but I'm going to. I'll bet that you have prayed a similar prayer to God that I have prayed to God that goes like this. Dear God, help me get away with my sin. Help me keep from getting caught so that I or nobody else will have to suffer the consequences of this sin I'm gonna choose to do. Don't raise your hand. Ever prayed it? Because I have. Listen, God is very patient. And he's very, very long suffering. But what kind of God would he be if he blessed the very thing that he knows will kill our relationship with him and, with, and destroy everyone connected to us? Not just us, generations of us. He says, yeah, I'm gonna wink at that one. Boys will be boys, girls will be, right? No, so if God is a God of love, he will tell us up front, and he always does, this is right, this is true, this leads to life, and I will give you the power and the strength to do it. But if we continue to push him aside, and pursue death because he loves us. And in the moment, it won't feel like he loves us at all. And some of us are sick at our stomach right now thinking about what that would look like if our door got kicked in. But because God loves us, he will do whatever needs to be done. He'll kick in the door of your life to bring your sin out into the light so that it can be dealt with and then left behind. Not so he could condemn you. He could do that without even thinking. But to save you so that you might live. Like I said, God interrupts our lives to deliver his truth to us because he loves us and he wants us to experience a full abundant life. But let's be honest, we're really good at either missing his truth or ignoring it. So he'll deliver it in whatever way he knows. You know, we're parents, you know this. Sometimes you have to grab your kid's face and go, are you listening now? Right? Are you paying attention now? Yeah, I have to. Because attorneys are involved. Right? See, he knows this, this, is, this is the only way you live. So again, I thought I'd get the tough one out of the way. It gets, the next couple are easier than the next couple of weeks, all right? But no one wants to think about this, but every one of us has experience, or we will. Because here's where we all land. We're all in the same boat. We have all sinned. We're all in the same boat, right? And we're really good at throwing stones at other people, usually so that nobody pays attention to ours. Look what she did. Look what he did, right? Don't pay attention to mine. And we're all... Christians, we're all counting on throwing that grace card. Jesus will forgive me anyway. But here's what's going on in, I'm not a prophet. Here's what's going on in whatever room you're sitting in right now. And I know that's true because it was going on at my kitchen table when I was writing this talk. Here's what, here's what you're, it's going on. You're having imaginary conversations in your head right now with me 
with God, with yourself, and you're saying, yeah, but mine's different. And there, I, and there are reasons, no, I have, I have good reasons, I have good excuses why I had to do that, or I have to keep on doing what I'm doing. Okay. So let's go back to what Jesus taught us at, at the beginning. The thief comes, what's the word? The thief comes only. He's, he's not gonna go, this time I'll help you out. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan, and I believe there is one, he's lying to you, and you're lying to yourself. Sin always ends the same way. By nature and by definition, it can't end any other way, and it is a matter of time if this continues until you lose everything. And the part we don't even wanna think about or imagine is this, if God really does love you, he will take that thing away from you. Not to punish you, but to save you and everybody attached to you. But it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to go that way. It doesn't have to end that way with your, the door of your life getting kicked open and everybody getting the wage of your sin falling on them. Because Jesus said this, there's another way to live your life. Jesus came to give us life to the full as it was meant to be. So there's grace and forgiveness, but there's also this command, but that has to stop. The sin has to stop. And by sin, I'm just saying, talking about the thing you're thinking about right now, right? And by that, it's what Jesus told that woman. You, whatever you're thinking about, you have to leave that part of your life behind. You have to end it. You have to cut it off. You have to move away from him or her or whatever it is. You have to put distance between you and it and then never go back in that room again. Well, how? How, how do I just stop? You take, you take, and this is by experience, so I'm not preaching at you. You take that part of your life that disagrees with God, and that is what is by definition sin, and you take that part of your life and you begin to follow wherever and whatever Jesus tells you to do with it next. You don't have to figure out the whole thing. You just start walking in his direction with this part of your life. And he promises he will walk through the dark tunnel with you into the light that is life, even if you can't see it from here. So here, I'm gonna close with this. You got two deals on the table. Here's two options for you to, whatever God's teaching you today, today right? Option number one, do nothing. Or how about this? Continue, keep on doing what you're doing in the darkness and hope that God doesn't kick in the door of your life and pray you don't get caught. Continue to live with guilt and shame and fear, just worrying every time the phone rings or every time somebody says, I need to talk to you. You all know, you know, some of you are about to throw up right now, right, right? Continue to rehearse how that conversation with the ones you love is gonna go the moment that everything comes out into the open, and it will, because God will not be mocked. A man and woman will reap what they sow. If God loves you, he will expose it. Again, not because he wants to punish you, but he wants to save you and all these people that are attached to you, and he actually loves them more than you do. So, but you could blow that off. Just keep on doing what you're doing and hope, hope it lasts. Or how about this? You don't have to wait till the door get kicked in. You can open the door yourself and walk away from sin and walk towards the light, which is what Jesus says is true. Ask Jesus, you can do that right now. Hey, Jesus, will you pay for what I did and I'm doing and trying to stop? Will you ask God for forgiveness? And then will you ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you the strength and the wisdom to walk in truth in whatever Jesus tells you to do next? And I am not your Holy Spirit. I'm not telling you what to do. But I believe the Holy Spirit is in this place right now and he's telling you what needs to happen in your life. Don't ignore him. And don't wait until the door gets kicked in before you listen to him. 
We're gonna, we're gonna sing this song, and here's the other thing I think going through our heads, at least with me, when, I, when I've been holding on to sin for years and years and years and years and years, it becomes part of my identity, and I don't even know who I am if I don't have this. I, I know it's sin, I know it's wrong, and but it, it's, it's just, it's me. And now Jesus is saying, I want you to walk, I don't know who I am apart from this. I don't know what my life would look like without this. It's been a part of my life. I've lived with anger and bitterness and this and that for so long. I don't even, I can't even imagine. So we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song. We sing it here a lot and I, I love it. Um, I, I can't make it through it very, very often without just tears starting to stream by my face. But the, the, the key line in there is, as I'm trying to figure out who I am, I am who he says I am. I'm not my sin. I'm not my past. I'm not what somebody did to me. I'm gonna go off script here. So you're going, it's lunchtime, shut up. Um, the other day we had a, we had a staff uh, like development day and a guy named Brad Lominick, uh, he was teaching us about how, like you have to figure out what your life is about. And that's not your job. But it's like, what's, what's the calling on my life? And I was sitting at a table and I, and, I, and, I, and I finally put my life calling into one sentence. I exist to remind men and women what is true about them, what is still true about them, no matter what they've done or what's been done to them. So I'm standing here today to tell you, you are a child of God and he loves you. And what you're doing and what, he's, what you've done in the past and what you're addicted to and whatever that is, it will not change that, but it has, it has to stop so you can experience life. I just wanna remind you what's still true about you. You're his child and he loves you and he wants you back. Do you believe that could be true for you? Some of you going, I don't, I know. Just take a step in his direction and he'll meet you right there. Let's stand up all of our campuses down at Lyman and let, let me pray and then maybe sing this song differently this time. Maybe this time it's actually a prayer. So God, um, I've had a lot of people treat me certain ways, say things to me, passively aggressive, not say things to me and I, I've taken on definitions about myself. I have screwed some stuff up and continue to, to mess some stuff up, ongoing, and I think that tells me who I am and the words that I would use to describe me, I, I can't say in church. <laughs> but they disagree with what you say is true about each one of us. And so God, all we know is this, this room and we don't know what's on the other side of that door. But if you promise, Jesus, if you promise that if I open this door and walk towards you, you'll take care of me and you'll walk with me and you'll be my friend, and you'll never leave me or forsake me, even, even when it feels like everybody else is going to, then, then, then I will take a step in your direction if you keep your promise, Jesus. If you'll set me free. If you'll redefine me into who you say I really am, I'll follow you. And that's the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.